how come when I want to parallel park, I can't just turn the wheel real hard, <laughs> turn the wheels to a 90 degree perpendicular mm-hmm. and just scoot, just scoot. Scotch. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 163 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast, Butterscotch Shenanigans. I'm Seth and I'm the games programmer. I'm Sam and I'm the vector artist. And this is a show where we talk about life, business wor- and working in the games industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and today is a gusty tree, 2018. It was a good day. Yes. Uh, before we get started, there's a warning. Anything could happen on this show. It's going to be profanity, and then stuff's going to happen that children wild. Children should not be privy to. So there's a child in the room. Just hurl them right out the door. Mm-hmm. Grab them by the backside. Give them a swift boot. Grab them by the scruff. Mm-hmm. Get them out of there. Let's get on to the news this week. Uh, first, we want to thank our supporters through our Ko-Fi account. Uh, which is over at moneygrab.bscotch.net. So thanks to uh, I am Cade and uh, Bem182. <laughs> That's a hard one to phonetically say. Yes. Uh, and we also have several uh, recurring do- don- supporters, donators, mm-hmm. uh, which we appreciate a lot. And uh, so we just want to thank everybody for helping keep the lights on on this on this little show we got going on. Uh, let's talk about Levelhead. Let's do it. Okay. So So if you're paying attention to the date – you'll know that it's been four days since we recorded the last mm-hmm. podcast because uh, Sam is about to head on a week-long sort of spirit quest. Uh, <laughs> like a vision I'll be quest. working. Yeah, I'll be up in Iowa. I'm going back to visit his family. Yeah, he just, he just <laughs> won't be physically in the office. Yeah. So we're, we're pre-recording this thing earlier than normal. So it's only been four days. Mm-hmm. So what has happened in the last four days? Well, you know, we've tried to explain to – to people, to business partners, that if they could just give us just a little more time, then everything will be completely different, basically, no matter what. Right. And like we, a day. Maybe. Yeah, we operate almost in like dog time over here. So, you know, one day for a normal person is approximately seven days in butterscotch time. Right. And so basically what's happened in the past four days is – Everything is different Everything <laughs> in, in level head. So <laughs> we, literally everything, the whole point of the game is different now. And it feels so good. So essentially what happened is, uh, you know, we've, we've been talking on the podcast about this grabbing mechanic, this tow cable, this sort of grappling hook thing. that Well, you, which originally started as just grabbing like you would do in Mario. Mm-hmm. So you'd walk over to something originally and you'd pick it up and that was it. And, and then, then we were like, fuck this. Mm-hmm. And then you got this little sort of extended grab cable. So you'd fire this thing out and you could grab stuff. And that was very, very fun. Uh, and then you could kick those things and throw them around. And we realized that from a little comment, a sort of side comment that Adam had made right before he left, after looking at some of the grappling stuff, um, the end of the of the levels had always been about getting to this warp pad on which was sitting this levitating package. So the idea, again, of the game is that you're training up these GR-18s, which are sort of like a juice box AI droid thing. And the goal of, of the training is to make them both, you know, extremely agile in, in in the case of delivering packages, but also to make them love packages. So we thought putting the package as the goal was sort of the way to do that. Now, after the grab mechanic came to be... Well, I, I will say that that we were never quite satisfied with that. No, the, the ending has it always felt, been meh. Yeah, it felt, it felt like it was just kind of there as a throwaway mm-hmm. where the ending could have been literally anything. Could have been a flagpole, mm-hmm. could have been a, a, hoop, a box a of donuts. Ring. You know, and we were trying to tie it into the story by putting a package there. By then saying, oh, yeah, the Bureau of Shipping is training these robots to go after packages. But but this is the Bureau of Shipping we're talking about. Why, do they, why are they training robots to just like go after packages? Why aren't they training robots to 
you know, deliver packages. Yeah. So Adam had made this sort of throwaway comment right before he left uh, that just for some reason just seared into my brain and then had just been sitting there for like a week. And he essentially said, hey, we have this package and you can grab stuff now. What if you brought the package to the goal? And then he just sort of went on about his business and caused like a severe mental disruption for me for the next week or so. And so on, I've just been thinking about this in like random bursts and and stuff like that. And over the weekend, thought about it more and came in on Monday and I was like, I don't know if this is dumb. And I know this will literally completely shift how the game feels, how it plays, everything about it will. This is one of those design forks. And we we come across these every so often. This happened actually, I think probably three or four times in Crashlands um, where you can sense that the weight of a single decision, which is not very hard to implement, will be massive in terms of like how it shifts the boat. Right. So you can boat. work on a game for six months and it's just trucking along. Mm-hmm. And then one day in like two hours, you do a thing that then forever changes the next yeah. six and months. And so we, we generally refer to these as a, a the peat effect because this is the first time we experienced this was in our game Quadrupus Rampage a couple of years ago where we had sent it out to a few sort of early testers for the game. And the overall response was like, this is really good. But who cares? But who cares? Like, what's, I, what's the point? I don't get the point. And so in two days, we added Pete, who is the boss, who becomes sort of this, you know, legendary figure in the lore of, of the Butterscotch universe, as well as a thing that everybody loves to hate when they play Quadrupus Rampage, because he's always insulting you and that sort of thing. And it gave the game this, this through line of purpose that previously literally was not there. And so the interesting thing with Levelhead was, was previously, you know, you're, yeah, you were going to trying to get to the end of this level, but Why? Well, who cares? I mean, who cares? And so essentially with the what we did on Monday, we said we had we no had this, Pete. Yeah, we had no Pete. And we had this discussion and we went back and forth a little bit and we were like, oh, no, this is one of those things. And I think we just have to try doing it to see if this is the thing. Because oftentimes when you hit one of these forks, uh, deviation from what has been known before. So essentially with the space we've been operating in before with this is, a, is sort of like your generic platform, right? Your goal is just you to go get through, to the end. Yeah, you go through the obstacles, defeat enemies, mm-hmm. and get to the goal. And none of it matters, though. It's just getting to the goal is what matters. And so we decided to do it. And in this, in the span of, I guess it was just that day, um, the whole game kind of like solidified. And essentially what it is now is that you you are, of course, still playing the same, the same game, same platforming and stuff. But your goal is to find the package first, and then you have to pick it up. And it goes on your back. Um, like the bombs or like the springs that some of you have seen in some of the uh, animations we've been putting into the Discord. And then you have to carry it and make it all the way to the goal and then jump into the goal. You sort of do this rad slam down and then the, the package sort of bursts and gets shipped off. Right. So that's the core of it. But it's not that simple mm-hmm. because for starters, you can only carry one thing at a time. So we updated a bunch of the other mechanics that previously – for example, we had a golden keys that you could find, and then if you found a golden door, then the door would open for you. This was all automatic. Mm-hmm. Uh, once we got the package in there, we thought, okay, since you can only carry one thing at a time, we need more things for you to carry to force the player into the decision of having to put the package down, go take care of some other stuff, and then go back to the package, mm-hmm. right? So everything becomes a, like an optimization, like an like a simple puzzle where you're like, how the, what's the quickest way to get this package to the goal? Where should I put it? Where should I throw it? Um, and so then we swapped out the keys for an object that you have to put onto your back and carry with you. And then you throw the key at the door and then the, the door opens. Um, we have bombs that you pick up and throw. Can't have the package when mm-hmm. you're doing that, right? Um, and then the package also serves as a projectile so you can hit enemies with it and it doesn't it doesn't damage them, but it does knock them away. 
So a lot of enemies will charge at you or shoot projectiles at you, and you can intercept the projectiles with the package. Because mm-hmm. the idea from Crashlands is that these packages are they're basically indestructible. Yes. They just happen to be completely immobile. They're also, also. totally helpless. Yeah. So it's this sort of comical situation where it ends up becoming uh, – we realized sort of after we implemented it, it felt really, really good because – you would you'd find this package, and we also animated the package so that it looks. Uh, it's like the packages from Crashlands. It has a face, it's a face it's on blinking. It. And you it, if you if you stay away from it for too long, it starts looking really worried. You know, yeah, it's, like sh- it's shaking like a little dog. Yeah, looking so around. You, <laughs> so you get it, and and it, it's not just like an escort quest, right? Which is the things everybody hates from video games, where you usually you're put in charge of some really dumb NPC who just can't help but accidentally kill themselves all the time, no matter what. In this case, it ends up feeling much more like uh, like the companion cube. From Portal. You have to get it to the end, but also it's a it's a, it's tool, a tool that yeah. you use to navigate the level. Because you can even throw the package down onto a bunch of spikes. And stand on And it. create a, plat- a safe platform that you can jump onto. And then there's these little tricks you can do. Like if you jump up off the package and then throw your gra- – shoot your grappling hook down right as you jump, then you can like jump off of it and pick it up at the mm-hmm. same time, you know. So there's like levels of, of uh, skill mastery involved with using it well. Um and also you can use it to pick up coins. So you can throw the package through, you know, piles of coins and it'll pick them up for you. So now all of a sudden you got this little buddy, which is also one of the core tenets of our games. So you'll notice you always that have a buddy. we always we always give the the player a friend, um, except for in like the the spaceship games, mm-hmm. flop, you know, flop rocket and Roid Ridge. Um yeah, so you got this little this little buddy, this little companion package. You're carrying it with you to the end of the level. Mm-hmm. And it has also solidified the thematic core, which was like, now you actually are training these robots to deliver packages. And so, um, and then we also make so that the goal, you, the goal is inactive unless you're carrying the package. Right. So you need to get it there. Um, and it also thematically solidified the auto run mode that yeah, we had so, talked about. So previously the auto run mode was essentially a, just a, a twist on the game that was a bit more accessible so it doesn't have all the uh, the usual trappings of all of the buttons available. Just a one touch. Yeah, it was just you were just going to be running and then you just hit a button to jump. Um, and yeah, once we fit, once we realized like, oh, now you're actually delivering things, we switched it from auto run mode to rush delivery. So yeah. standard well, shipping is your normal right. mode. So the regular, yeah, now it's not just like a 2D platformer. Now it's a package delivery game. Mm-hmm. And so the normal game mode is standard delivery. That's what you're, you're training GR18 to do a standard delivery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then for the, the other training mode, it's, it's rush order mode. Yeah. And so, uh, so Seth, we started chatting about that and this was like yesterday morning. Yeah. So, so we started chatting about that because again, realizing that, Oh, this whole thing is kind of really nicely crystallized in a really weird way these last couple of days. And with rush, with the rush delivery mode, there was one thing that was sort of weird about it, which is that you were still playing completely as GR 18. In form, right? So it's just still a little You're robot. still just running around the level. Still got the package on your back. And it's just kind of weird that we would just strip your controls from you in that particular context. And so, you know, we did some thinking about it and realized that there's there's some other games that do do this. But anytime they do it, if you think about Donkey Kong, for example, they have these minecart levels. Right. You can't do your normal stuff other than jump in, mm-hmm. in the minecart. Um, and the, the important thing there is that they have a visual reinforcement of the change in gameplay, right? So in our case, we were just leaving GR18 the same as opposed to providing some other mechanism by which you're doing these things. And so uh, this morning, uh, I banged out in the last two hours um, a transformation for GR18 that turns it into a moped. Yes, a little <laughs> so, robot moped with a face and a yep. package strapped onto its yep. back. 
and then Seth had programmed up the game such that it plays kind of like what was it called, swoop bike racing? Yeah, in, in Knights of the Old Republic, they have this this little mini game, swoop bike racing, and I I was I love the shit out of it because of how simple it is. Which mm-hmm. is your bike, you just hold the acceleration button. That's your whole thing, um, and then you you will there'll be barricades and obstacles on the course. If you hit them, they cut your speed down. You don't your bike doesn't get destroyed or anything. They just cut your speed down. Um, and then there are boosts on the ground that are played. They're all over the place. Mm. And so then, so then the, the game becomes trying to hit as many boosts as you can to get the fastest time. Right. Cause your speed doesn't have to do with like, you ever play more like realistic racing games where you just fly off the track and all of a sudden it's like, Ooh, you're on grass. So now you don't have as much yeah, traction yeah. and now you're hitting walls. And, and most of the time your, your bad, your bad score comes down to also having a bad experience because you're like true, going yeah. backwards and banging into shit and right. it's terrible. Or just like, I mean, generally running off the track, even Super Mario, like running off the track and hitting the grass, you're like, Ugh. And then you got to slowly creep back onto yeah, the track right. and, and there's nothing good about it, right? And so so I thought, what if we took that kind of a swoop bike racing concept where instead of, instead of in uh, auto run mode, you just like die all the time. Um, what if we mostly made it about avoiding going slower and mm-hmm. seeking out going faster. So we just made these little boost and break items that you, if you pass through them, you get a temporary speed boost. And so then, then the objective becomes just hit as many boosts as you can and don't hit the break items. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you could put spikes in there and stuff like that. But you actually, as you're designing these levels, you'll notice you don't feel the need to. It's just because that's not the point. The yeah. point is to try, like, try to make the jumps, you know, and just go fast, mm-hmm. fast as you can. Um, and so I, I played around with that and it was, God, it was so easy to, I, I even, I even randomly placed a bunch of stuff and it still turned out to be a pretty decent race level. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and this is actually, this is an interesting point because, um, one of the things we had been, we've been talking a lot about internally is the fact that we know that most people are not going to make good levels because it's hard. Yeah. Good level design is actually very hard to do. And so, uh, one of the, the general concerns we've had with a game like this is just that if the mechanical core of it is not is not 100% fun just to sort of tool around in by itself and is not interesting no matter what is thrown at it then you run into the circumstance where where yeah you as a as a creator might make a level but it's going to be really hard to make it good because right. it's, it yeah, depends if, so heavily on the design right if the fun purely comes from the level yeah then most of the time the game isn't going to be fun right and so but, so the mechanics that you're that you're building the game around have to be fun just sort of despite the circumstances. Right. And so, so what we found now with the with that combination of the package carrying, the tow cable, and then now with this auto run mode um, is we, we think we've hit a point where actually the mechanics are so strong that it's, it's going to be hard fun. to fuck it up. Yeah. Like <laughs> even if you make a really terrible level because of the fact – and we refer to this oftentimes as, as player style. So if you're playing a game where there's only sort of one way to do something, then – I mean, it's kind of everyone has the exact same experience. So Crashlands is actually kind of an example of this um, where there's there's only one way to to I mean, you can get bombs. You can, you know, sort of kind of kit out yourself as a, as a different class a little bit. But for the most part, everyone has a very similar experience in that game versus in uh, in Levelhead. The goal has shifted to making it such that if you and I play the same level, I could I could do some really wacky stuff because of sort of the physics that's happening in it and the tow cable and some of those other all the weird elements come into play such that I can sort of – I can put my own personality into the way that I'm playing moment to moment. Yeah. Right? Instead of just strategically. You get to make preference. the real decision. And it's even – even comes down to stuff like, you know, let's say you get to the end of the level where one player might just jump right into the goal. Another player might 
try to throw the package ahead of themselves, jump onto it and then jump, you know, use it to boost mm-hmm. their height and try to perform like a maneuver at the end to get an extra couple hundred points because right. they hit the goal higher. Right. Um, and so now there's, there's just, or like you see an enemy, do you want to ignore it? Do you want to jump on it? You or do you want to hit it in the face with your package and try to knock it off of a cliff? Yeah. Um, and then you know, as you're building the levels, I even had, like I, I made a level where there's this, this big, pretty hard to deal with enemy. It's called a canoodle. Mm-hmm. It shoots projectiles out of its back and you could just go and, and fight it and move on. But then I, I hit a, a bomb sort of like further back in the level that, and then I also put some breakable blocks that, that are bombable as well near the canoodle. So if you bring that bomb, you could throw the bomb at the canoodle, mm-hmm. do some extra damage. Mm-hmm. Or you can use the bomb to blow up these other blocks and get three more bombs and then you can use those to fight just it. Kill it far away, yeah. yeah. And so because of this sort of grabbing and throwing and carrying mechanic, um, players can kind of bring things from one area of the level to the other and try to find you know optimal paths of, of doing things. So it's kind of – it's just changed everything. It has. And I think, uh, I mean, I've gotten so much more excited. About it. I mean, I was already very excited, but it's just really fun now. I don't know what the hell happened. <laughs> it's, like, it's very strange. And, and uh, you know, you, I think whenever you're designing a game or frankly, when you, if you're writing something or whatever else, you're always, at least for me, having done it enough now, I'm always just sort of waiting and hoping for something like this to you happen. You just got to hang in there long enough. Yeah, where you just you suddenly <laughs> see this opportunity and then you can go do something with it. So... Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm so excited, and uh, we have some we have some announcements and stuff, and some other sort of uh, cool things we'll be showing sort of toward the end of this month mm-hmm. um, about Levelhead. But until then, we, we're not going to be saying we're not going to be showing anything else about it aside from some screenshot Saturdays. Yeah, basically, so, our our sort of legit marketing and hype building will start next about four next month, yeah. right? So s- September. So we'll we'll have some news. Man, I'm so excited. Yeah. Um, all right, so let's uh, let's get on to some industry news before we hit questions. Let's talk about Apple. Apple has changed their affiliate program. Uh, there was an article on Touch Arcade about basically losing a substantial proportion of their revenue. Right. Well, so it's because of this, so, because of this change. Yeah. So essentially, what this was when the App Store started in order to help sort of drive you know sales and traffic, they created this affiliate program. And essentially what that means is that you as, a, as an affiliate would get a special link. And if people followed through that link to buy a game, then you would get a little bit of a kickback. So and that would come out of Apple's cut. So Apple, again, takes 30 percent. And so presumably I don't, I don't actually know what the numbers are, but some sliver of that then would go to the affiliate as opposed to just going to Apple. Um, and so it's interesting because they, they, made, they apparently just made this announcement out of the blue. So there was not like a. Well, la- last year they reduced the affiliate proportion. Mm-hmm. So it had just been untouched basically since the App Store was created. And this has allowed things like Touch Arcade to exist. You know, right. these these mobile review sites that they aggregate a huge community and they're all about talking about games, reviewing games, talking about quality, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then, yeah, by forwarding people through those links, they can build up staff and actually provide good quality content. Right. And so essentially what's happened now is uh, is they kind of just announced that they're not doing it anymore. So – I think it's already effective, right? Yeah, they just said it's done now. Yeah, uh, so there was the not really much forewarning, um, and then and then now it's it, this is a very serious question about essentially with the the ability of something like the mobile press generally to actually provide coverage for games because uh, from the tone of of the Touch Arcade article, it really seems like 
this is a big enough hit on their overall revenue. And it's a, it's a really small operation anyways. Like it's not, they're not rolling in the dough in terms of like being a, you know, in gadget or some huge monstrous uh, magazine thing. Right. So apparently it's a very large hit to their, their overall way of, of generating revenue. And so it honestly is this really weird question where there's already not that many mobile review sites generally. Um, that have been successful enough. There's been like three there's or four. A, there's a large number of sort of very low involvement sites. Right. Right. So there's there's tons of people who maybe Almost start up like a review. Or yeah, something. people yeah. start up a review site and they're like, oh, this is my mobile game review site. And they'll post once every two months or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's just thousands of those. Right. Right. But something on the sort of quality level of Touch Arcade, that's a very hard thing to find. Right. So uh, so we don't know what's going to happen there. Um I don't know what it means, but it it is it is interesting. I think the tone Apple was taking with it was essentially saying with all the changes they made to the storefront, they're looking to essentially be the editors for this stuff. So yeah. to essentially in a lot of ways theoretically make mobile press redundant. Now, I don't know if that's actually possible because of how many games are coming out. Like they're, you know, I mean, that's just that, that's a huge job to try to take on. So so I don't know what's going to happen, um, but it's a very interesting sort of evolution in, in all this mobile review stuff. Yes. Yeah. I, it would be, I think the landscape of the mobile games press would be very difficult to navigate yeah. without something like Touch Arcade. I, I, you know, Pocket Gamer, they're also one of mm-hmm. the major ones. I assume that they also get a good chunk of their revenue from this yeah. kind of stuff. Um, yeah. And it's also the question of as developers, who do we talk to? Yeah. If you can only talk like to if, Apple. Yeah, yeah. Like if, if, if the major sites close down, because they can't sustain them themselves. Um, who who are we supposed to go talk to for right. press about mobile games? <laughs> yeah, because I mean, because you know, sites like Kotaku and IGN or whatever, like they're they're not talking about mo- upcoming yeah. mobile games. And it's also the case that you know? the the Apple staff generally, I mean, it's just not going to be able to handle the total number of requests coming in. Right, that's always been the case, even before yeah. when there was a lot of press. Yeah. And so it is that really weird question, which is, you know, what does it mean for there will know, be a void. Yeah, I don't know who's going to fill it or how. Well, importantly, what does it mean for if you're starting out and you're looking for that first those first couple of rungs up the press ladder, right? If there's none, and then it's just you have to somehow get Apple to pay attention, but there's no way to say, hey, hey, Apple, you know, Touch Arcade already reviewed our or gave us a preview and they loved it, or you know, so and so. You can't get that stamp of approval. It's from hard the rest to roll that community. forward. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm really, I don't, I don't know what it means. I'm just, we're, we'll kind of just wait it out and see what the fallout is from all this. But it's going to be curious. It's going to be weird. So, mm-hmm. I don't know. All right, let's go on some questions. These questions come from our listeners over at podcast.bscotch.net. So, if you'd like to get a question on a future episode, get over there, put your questions in the text box, <laughs> and then submit it to us. Mm-hmm. First question comes from Irish Luck. As game developers, you guys have mentioned uh, changing the games you're making a lot. <laughs> and I guess it's part of the process. How often do you remove a large portion of a game when you realize it doesn't work? We've done that a lot. Sometimes uh, we remove... An entire game. Yeah. Which is sort of <laughs> – that's kind of like what happened over the last two years for yeah. the most part. Um, but the interesting thing about it is they always come back a little bit in various oh, yeah. forms inside of the new game. So, yeah, it's, it's, that's been an, that's an interesting process in and of itself. But as far as just sort of the, the constant morphing of things, uh, we experienced this with Crashlands too. But um, that took – it took like a year and a half I think before it actually crystallized. Yeah, I mean, Crashlands is built upon the foundation of just the corpses of dead game systems yes. that we just killed. Yeah, and we actually, Seth and I watched the, the we had, had put together like an alpha gameplay trailer for Crashlands 
I think I think it was like a year. And- it was at GDC. We went. Right. We went in. Uh, I think March or so. so we were about four months into development, and we went to a GDC, and we sat down with I think Carter Dotson, mm-hmm. who was recently at Touch Arcade, um, and talked about the game. Well, there's no, there's one, there was even one a year later than that. Oh, okay. Yeah. So this is, I think it's like a year before the game actually came out or seven and eight months before the game came out. And it was so funny because most of the systems were not the ones that actually went in that launched. Yeah. At all. Everything changes. And so there's this one funny scene where you, if you've played Crashlands, you know, there's, there's pet taming involved. And the way you tame pets is actually, you just get an egg and you hatch it. Now it previously was that you would actually beat the crap out of a creature, right? Just and then beat it, would, it into submission. And then it would sort of like face plant and then be kind of shaking. So all of the creatures actually have this frame, which is this sort of like defeated, just sort of horrified. Please show me mercy yeah. shaking. And originally, <laughs> you actually had to choose to execute. So you had to tap them one more time and then Flux would do like this, this flip, flip, back flip, and then just crush them into like a splatter on the ground. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Horrifying. And yeah. Adam luckily came on and he was like, what are you guys doing? <laughs> this is bad. This is real yeah. horrifying. Uh, but it actually is, it's in that trailer because you see there's a Bamley on the ground. Flux runs over and throws something at it. And then you play this mini game to see if you can tame it. Yes. And so you just, you, did, you didn't hatch a creature, you tamed one. Yeah. And then this, and then we kind of, we kind of realized, you know, for starters, the execution too, way too rough. Maybe. That's going to move us like from a teen into like an M, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and then the egg hatching thing actually builds up your attachment to that creature a lot more, right? You have to invest so, in it. Yeah. I mean, you 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 lovingly craft a nest, you mm-hmm. know, and you put the egg in there and you wait for it to hatch. It only takes five minutes or whatever. And then when it hatches, of course, it's tiny and it just – it takes a while for it to reach full size. And even though it's invincible and it mm-hmm. can't take any damage, you still feel – like a caretaker for right. it, you know, which isn't necessarily the case if you acquire the creature by just beating the crap out of it. Yeah, it's a little weird. Yeah. You know? um, so yeah, we we had that. That's that. That's a, my favorite example of a system that we just ripped out. We had all kinds of stuff. We actually had in Crashlands um, chests and bags, and we actually had inventory oh, yeah. management yeah. early, and we ripped all that out and swapped it out for the infinite yeah. inventory. Um, and just, I think, I mean, even just that this previous conversation about level heads an interesting example because. You'll have some of these shifts in design that then necessitate going back and not necessarily ripping things out, but just sort of moving them. So we have we have uh, there's armor and some other things that hap- that you can get in in level HUD. You can pick them up and they'll say absorb a hit for you. Um, and it previously was the case you would just run into it like with your face, and, and now it would you sort have of be it. Like, yeah, it'd be like bling, and then now you could take a hit. Uh, but with the carry mechanism, now you actually you have to choose to pick up the thing that gives you this extra hit, and then you carry it on your back. So again, it's going to displace the package or whatever else you got back there. And so it's less that the systems, it's less that we always rip things out and more that they just kind of, they're constantly morphing in like a big sort of weird design pool until yes. everything kind of settles. Yeah. And, and this, this I think comes down at the core is coming down to recognizing we don't know what the fuck we are doing. No, like, not at all. It, I was on a, a sort of a, like a business call uh, yesterday and somebody had asked me, uh, do you guys have design documents? Like, you guys have anything? And I was, and I just laughed. I was like, no. "Fuck no, <laughs> I have no idea where anything is going um, with this." Right. Yeah. So, and this, and I, I think if you if you get too rigid about the vision of the thing that you're trying to build, I think you miss all these fun opportunities. Yeah. 
of just kind of exploring and saying, I don't know why this is the way it is. It just seemed like a good idea at the time, but it's probably wrong, right? Mm-hmm. Everything can be better. Um, Even this idea of, of turning GR18 into a moped. Yes. Like, that was just That wasn't part of the plan. No, not at all. <laughs> and I think there's actually this interesting article I read uh, just recently about about the, the, art, the art of approaching is writing in this case. But um, apparently this is a thing. So they refer to it as ma- macro planners or micro planners. So either you're the sort of person who approaches your creative work with – like you know, you know all the details. You plan it out. It's just you just know what's going to go, and until you just work on it until it's done, and then it's done. Um, or you're the sort of person, which is actually the way we operate, where you, in the case of writing, you basically don't know what the next sentence is going to be until you write it. Right? Yes. You have no idea where the story is going. What the ending will be. You're just going to go and let it sort of suss itself let out. The, let the chips fall where they may. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think it's it was interesting reading about that in the writing profession because. Of course, your talk at GDC was all about this, about the basically our chaos design theory. Yeah. Um, and about how we don't plan anything. And aside from just saying, like, we're going to work on this today for eight to 10 hours. Yeah. Well, I, I think the interesting thing about this, too, is it's virtually impossible for somebody who adheres to one of these specific approaches to understand why anybody or how anybody could conceivably use the other approach. Right. Yeah. So if you're, if you're somebody who plans everything, and then you got somebody else who comes in and is like, I have no fucking idea what I'm doing. And they're just sitting there like slapping their keyboard all day. Mm-hmm. And you're sitting there thinking, how how the hell could they ever make something with this Let process? alone something good. Right. Like you could never even finish something, let alone make a good thing by not ever knowing what is happening. Right. Um, but it turns out that that's our preferred method mm-hmm. of doing things is not having any clue. Uh, and on the flip side, you know, we look at these people with design documents and we're thinking, how could they possibly claim to know yeah. what's going to happen? I still don't get it, honestly. I, don't, I never will understand it. Um, but everybody has their own, their own style and, and they, people do whatever works for them, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, upon reflecting about uh, – because I, I saw this come down in the feedback that I got in my GDC talk, which yeah. is like some, some people were like, shit, yeah, that's exactly how we make our games. I'm glad somebody's talking about this approach. And then some other people were almost livid about even the, the possibility of suggesting that you should make games yeah. this way. Well, right? they claimed it was that you're that suggesting this method was dangerous. That yeah, that, that this is a dangerous idea. That if if people try to follow it, it's going to cause irreparable harm to their game development mm-hmm. career. You're a menace to society, yeah. Seth. Uh, you're preaching this chaos gospel over here. Yeah, and so I, you know, I always try to preface these conversations with no, seriously, do whatever works for you. And we don't know what the fuck we're doing anyways. Mm-hmm. So it's fine. But uh, all right. Our next question comes from Amber's Arcade. What are you doing in a level head and scuffle buddies to help people with disabilities play easier? In game dev circles, can you tell if accessibility awareness slash implementation is becoming more important before games are shipped, uh, not in post-release patches? Mm. Yeah, I do think, I mean, it's something we've been more conscious of basically since Crashlands actually came out. I think a big part of it was our audience previously was usually not big enough that we would have like enough of a population just in the games generally. Right. We just needed people. Yeah. That was sort of the first step. Yeah. Just, um, and going into the launch of Crashlands, we like, it does, it does require extra dev time, of course, to do a variety of these accessibility options. Um, so going into the launch of Crashlands, you know, we've talked about it before, but we were, we were on the sort of, we were running out of everything. Before that happened, yeah. So our the, one of the, the first major patch was the quality life patch, which included uh, colorblind mode and some other uh, sort of just accessibility options generally. 
And that was a really exciting thing to be able to do because, you know, when you look at the numbers for it, especially something as simple as colorblind mode, which is like the, the, the if you're going to do any accessibility, if you're going to choose one, like try that one, do that one yeah. because it hits actually a huge number of people in the population. Um, but that was an interesting thing because I think now it is just sort of rolled into our development cycle. Yeah. Um, and, it, and it comes down to, to simple things like don't just use color to distinguish things. Mm -hmm. If you can, try to convey also different silhouettes or shapes, right? Or choose different colors than red and green for your oppositional ones. Right. Even so if that, you just so use, that's the most common uh, colorblind yeah. thing. Even yeah. if you just use red and blue instead, that's, you're going to have a better time in terms that of – That'll narrow yeah. that, yeah. Um, yeah, and of course, there's there's tons of different kinds of colorblindness. And so no matter – if you're only using color, no matter what combination you choose, it's going to hit some somebody mm -hmm. wrong, right? Um, and so, yeah, trying to, trying to come up with ways to do that. So in multiplayer, for example, in level head, we, we originally just had, you know, colored arrows over mm -hmm. the player's heads, so you know, blue, yellow, green, red, whatever. Um, and we thought, well, we could do better. Right. Yep. So now we, we, there are colored shapes. So now it's like a star and a diamond and that kind of stuff. Um, so that even if you have color blindness, you can still easily distinguish yeah. between. So a big part of it is just sort of, you know, we've been learning. It's also just not, you know. Being who we are, we don't necessarily know what the, like what these various things are that we should be looking out for. Um, because if we're not dealing with them personally, then it's very easy to just not have these things on our radar. I mean, that's sort of like that's like the definition of how privilege operates in a general scope, right? It's like, you don't have to think about the problems that you don't have exactly. So you're just usually you're just not even aware. So um, so honestly, it's been really good because we we do occasionally get notes from people where they're like, oh, you know, here's the situation I'm dealing with, whatever else, and your game doesn't necessarily support it. Um, but usually it's in the past, it had almost always been, oh, we had never even thought about that. And now we're trying to take a, a much more proactive approach. Yeah. And so I think it's I think you're you're probably going to be seeing more, definitely more awareness around it because it seems like it's it's just talked about more. Generally, yeah. the last couple of years in particular, uh, accessibility as a thing to have on launch as opposed to later. Yeah. And, and I mean, with a in a larger company, I think this is an easier thing to think about because with more people on your team, you're more likely to, you know, to have people on the team who had these issues yeah. or to have people on the team who have friends no, that, or family right. who had these issues and, and it's at the forefront of their mind. Of course, the smaller your team is, the more narrowly, the more narrow of a world experience you have to, to draw from. So when it comes to uh, level head, we have a bunch of stuff. So we've got things like um, we have the different game modes that are, for example, like one touch game mode mm -hmm. so that you can play with a single finger or yep. an elbow or a nose Just or anything. whatever Whatever touch-sensitive object mm -hmm. you've got on your body, you're good. Um, so we have that, and then we have fully remappable keys of all kinds. Mm -hmm. And then we'll, we'll also be doing stuff where, uh, for example, on mobile, we do use a pinch zoom and, and like two fingers to, to pan and scroll around. Uh, but everything else is one touch. And so we're even going to go so far as to uh, add a little sort of optional camera joystick mm -hmm. that you can spawn for accessibility so that if you – if you've only got one finger, then you can still do the thing. Then you can still do it. You just use the joystick and you can navigate. So so anybody should be able to participate in the game, at least on some level. And then and also having filterable uh difficulty levels. So if you it's like one of the things that we got feedback from in Crashlands was even just by adding difficulty options. Mm -hmm. Um, then people who have a harder time engaging with high skill games can just switch it over to the easier game mode and they can still fully engage with it, right? Because right? then it's still a challenge for them and it's still great. And so with uh, with Levelhead, when you're looking at other players' levels, you'll be able to choose from a drop down 
uh, some options to filter by so that you can find the levels that apply to your, you know, skill set. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I think it's super important. Um, I, yeah, I, I think we're, I think you're right. I think we're seeing the industry kind of trending more toward. Yeah, well, I think people are more aware of it. And I think that the truth about it is too that uh, it's one thing to know that it's a problem that exists, and it's another one to know how the hell to solve it in your game. And I think that's actually one of the big things that's been happening recently. Is people are swapping notes. But they're like, yes. oh, here's how you here's how you easily do something like colorblind mode, or here's how you more easily do something like switch your game, because you you can't you can't not recognize the fact that implementing these features oftentimes does take a considerable amount of dev time. And if you're looking at an indie studio who's running out of money, who doesn't necessarily have like a lot of publisher backing, whatever else, they're just they're having a hard time just getting the game done, yeah. and out. And so, um, as you know, there's there's certain sort of groups of people basically where or groups of uh, maybe studios where. It's as much as you would want accessibility to be at the forefront of their mind, it's almost impossible because survivability is sort of the first one for them. Right. Um, and so that's why I've really liked this sort of exchange of information that's been going on because it's made it more likely and I think just way more easy to, to you know, approach it because you don't necessarily have to approach from a, a design from scratch situation about, oh, how do you how do you convert like a, you know, maybe a platformer into a one button control mechanism? How do you think about a pinch zoom and how do you how would you possibly make a a solution for this. Yeah. Cause not everybody are, can pinch. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So if, if people are swapping notes about it though, then you don't have to do the design work on top of the implementation work, which is really big. So. Yeah. And it really just comes down to options. Yeah. The, the more, the more control options you, you put in there. And this also like, this is also, uh, comes down to putting the game onto multiple different platforms, right? Mm-hmm. So putting it on a desktop, it's got keyboard hotkeys and then people can, can map those to different devices and stuff like that. Um, that they might be using for accessibility and and, and that kind of thing. So right. really just like including as many customization options as you can is just a great way to to try to sort of head this off mm-hmm. at, at the pass. Our next question comes from The Rumpus. What's up? A few times in the past, you mentioned the Bscotch Citadel of Code that you mm-hmm. guys keep of useful scripts and such from jams and projects. What's your preferred way to archive stuff and easily access it for later? How is the Citadel sausage built? Mm. Well, so I guess the – what is the Citadel? What does that mean? All right. So every time we do a game jam or work on a big game project or whatever, we're always solving similar problems on some level. So maybe one game uh, we'll do a thing that has inventory management. And then three games later, oh, we have to keep track of currency or we have to keep track of you know whatever. And we realize, gosh, you know, if I had that – system that I built from three games ago, it will be real, real fucking nice right mm-hmm. now. Real so fast. It'd be speed things up a lot. And so if you ever find, if you ever find yourself resolving the same problems, um, which you will, if you do a lot of game jams, then it's time to, it's time to generalize that. Mm-hmm. So you, so you write up a script or write up something that'll just kind of solve that problem, at least on a baseline level, um, pretty quickly and, and easily for you. And then you just add that to the pile. So we have this big ass thing we call it the Bscotch Pack. It's got, I think now, nearly 500 scripts in it, mm-hmm. a bunch of objects. It's got cameras. It's got particle systems. It has it can handle like bullet time and slow motion, pause screens, inventory systems, isometric grids, just all kinds of stuff. And in most games, we only use maybe 10% of mm-hmm. those things, um, but they're all just there, ready to go. And so it's kind of like in I mean, in a programmer context, then you can kind of think of like an experienced programmer just sort of carrying this huge sack of tools around and it just gets as the years go on they just get more tools in this bag right yeah so a new project comes along and they're like oh it's one of those i'm gonna grab this weird inventory management system i made four games back apply it to this problem so 
this is actually a huge benefit that you that as a programmer you get over some of the other crafts that are involved, like art, for example. Um, you can't necessarily. There's not really. I, can, I don't get to bring tools from previous games with me so right. much as you just have the experience mentally in your head, right? right? Of of what to do, what not to do, how to not go down you know blind alleys and right. stuff. Yeah, and so I, I do think though that the only way to do this is to do a lot of projects. Yes. Because by exposing yourself to these problems uh, over and over again, you start to see the patterns. You start to see what you need to put into your toolbox and what you don't. You know, what is going to be more general or more specific to a certain problem and and what's more of just like a universal thing that you're always solving over Mm -hmm. and over again. So um, if you're the kind of person who is – tends to only work on one thing, you know, for a year or two, uh, maybe think about switching up your – Tack, you know? Yeah. Well, I think it's, it's exactly that point, which is that the more the more of this breadth you have in terms of the diversity of stuff you come come across, the yeah, the less narrow your view is in any regard. So you might you might notice parallels between systems you built before that are kind of unrelated, and maybe a new problem you have. So even if it doesn't match one hundred percent, the fact that you've tackled you know isometric grid stuff might somehow relate to some weird Cartesian grid that you're using for some new system or like a. Who knows? Yeah. And I mean, even, even stuff like, you know, we made Goop Legacy at the Shenanity. Mm-hmm. And I've been working on this uh, game on uh, on the Twitch stream at, over at twitch.tv slash bscotch on Saturday mornings, mm-hmm. 8, 8 a.m. to noon, CDT. Plug, plug, plug. And the movement in that game comes from Goop Legacy. Like the spaceship movement is code that was used to move goops around mm-hmm. in Goop Legacy. Uh, it's just it's animated differently, but under the under the hood, the movement system is exactly the same. So you know, just the more of these projects you do, the more you see the patterns, and the faster you can solve all problems. Um, so yeah, and then as far as sort of migrating it between projects, Adam built this dope ass tool called the GMod Bot, mm-hmm. which allows us to create what we call modules in Game Maker and inject them. Yeah. So they it basically like sucks up the code from one Game Maker project. But in a certain, like in a very constrained kind of a way, and then it injects it into another game maker project. And it does it in such a way that it maintains uh, relationships between objects, and and you can even have like things in the new project that are you know child objects of things in your module. And when the injection occurs, it it rebuilds those relationships, and so it allows us to very easily just migrate code from one project uh, to another. So very cool. It's good to have a, a tools developer around to make digital syringes yes. for you. All right, next question comes from Angry Muffin. In episode 24, Sam's chest meat. Mm, that was a good time. That was a while back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you talked about the value or lack thereof of things like Amazon Underground and using Humble Bundle within a year of a game launch. You said that these things help boost the tail end and use the example of one to two years after Crashlands launch, uh, maybe going to $5 on Steam and $1 on mobile. But you raised the price on mobile as lowering it had a negative effect on sales. Has this experimentation changed your view on lowering game prices uh, well into the tail? So, I mean, yes, 100%. So just to back everybody up on what's sort of happened here, we had the big question, which was uh, after a, the successful launch of a game or even just the launch of a game, does it have to be successful? Um, you were likely to be approached by these bundles. What a bundle does is they take a bunch of keys they for your game. They take everything. Yeah, they take a bunch of keys for your game, and then they sell them at a very, very low price. And the idea is that you're going to get – you'll get some money from it, which is cool, but you'll be bundled in with a bunch of other games simultaneously. So it might be like five bucks uh, someone would pay, and they might get like five games for it. 
one of those is yours, and then you get a kickback from that. Right. So the, the bundle will take most of the money. That's how it works, yeah. So, well, it's, it's, it's 30. It depends on the bundle. It's actually usually a 70-30 split, but the, the 70 gets split across all the devs. Right. So there might be five devs in there, so now you're looking at a, a smaller proportion. And so um, we did we did do it with Humble Bundle, I think a year, year and a half after launch. It went very well. It was very fun. Um, and we did, we've done some stuff with Game Maker Bundles before through Humble as well. Um, we haven't done any other ones. We've and, always done it through Humble. Yeah. And a big part of it is that when we've looked at the numbers of those, it just seems, it seems weird because the reality is what we end up getting uh, is actually not a lot of active players from those things. Right. Because people are buying a game on accident. Yeah, usually. They're like, oh, here's 30 games. And then they just have your game. They don't even right. realize they have it. They mm-hmm. may not ever activate the key or they may activate it and then never play it. Or sell the key. They might sell the key. That Which often is a whole other thing. And so there's actually a se- the secondary market for keys has sort of oftentimes thrived off of the backs of the bundles. So what can happen then is, so say say we put Crashlands in a bundle. Say it sells like 10,000 bundles, which means there's now 10,000 keys of Crashlands floating around. And probably like 80% of those people do, are not going to actually cash in on Crash. Like they're not going to play it. Yeah, this is what we found is that it seems like there's something like a one in five chance that someone who buys through a bundle will end up showing up. And that, of course, depends on the scale of the bundle, because I think there was, I, I bought a bundle that I think had like 80 games in it. Yeah. How are you? Point. It's a lifetime. You know? Yeah. I, I, I activated most of the keys, but then I, now I'm filled with regret because my Steam library is now just it's like 300 games deep <laughs> and I don't know what the fuck is in it. Yeah. So, right. <laughs> now I can't find any of the games mm-hmm. I do want to play. Right, so the but the problem then becomes that you you have keys show up on these key reselling sites, and if say the person got your game in a bundle, they might be selling the key for like a dollar or two, whereas your game like Crashlands is up for fifteen bucks on Steam. Right, because because their actual price for your game was then like fifteen cents right. or something. And so uh, so so using or not using these things is kind of a hard strategic decision. On our case, we just said we're not going to think about this too much. We'll just go with Humble because we know they're good. Move on. Um, now, when it comes to sort of our understanding of the pricing of things, I think my general take that has now, changed. it has yeah. changed a lot. I think my general take now is that I think a lot of indies get their pricing wrong. People can't tell how good your game is. We talked about this last podcast. It's an experienced good. They cannot tell how good it is until they right. get it. And so the price is also a signal to people of the quality of it, right? And so this is what we experienced when we brought we moved the price on Crashlands. Not even in a sale, we just moved it down from fifteen bucks to ten bucks on Steam, um, thinking that that would increase the total number of players we would have. Which is okay, kind of and instead we people were like, "Well, this must be a piece of shit." Yeah, <laughs> so we had we were selling the game for five dollars less, and demand went down. Right. Yeah. So we got hit double, right? Because our number of sales went down, and we were making thirty percent less money per sale. Yeah. So that, it was sucked. that sucked a lot. Yeah. And we have to undo this. Yeah. Uh, fortunately, nobody really cared. No. Because everybody who had already bought it, they yeah. had it. And the people who were going to buy it weren't paying that much attention. Yeah. So, whew. It worked dodged out. Dodged out. It worked <laughs> out. But I think it's one of those things where, you know, your your understanding of how economics works is a lie, essentially, based on economics. Well, yeah. The fundamental concept of economics is, you know, you've got – but well, well, here's the the core underpinning of economics theory is that – in a in a world of perfect information, mm. right? Assuming assuming that y- you know everything there is to know about a product, then including you, its previous price history, probably everything. Right? Every you know everything about a product. Then the one decision factor is whether you believe the price is reasonable for what you're getting. Right. But what economic theory doesn't talk about is that fucking nobody has 
almost any information about anything. And so oftentimes the price is the information, which means the higher the price, the more likely you are to buy it Mm -hmm. because the more desirable it seems. Right. So just backwards. It's totally backwards. And so then we, uh, from that, we were like, what happens if we just raise the price on mobile? I think we just did, it was like a Thursday and I can't remember, someone just floated the idea and we're like, let's just see what happens. Let's just do it. Because who cares? And we'll just see, like people have already bought it. They don't care. They got it. It's fine. So so we raised the price to $7 and this is also after like like our third update. So the truth is crashing has gotten better. We've continued working on it for two years. So we're like, this is fine. You know, we could rationalize this some way. And- but we didn't have to. We didn't have to. It was yeah. fine. And the funny thing about it was our, yeah, our total number of units sold went down a little bit, but our revenue was flat. Yep. So and, words, and when we put the game on sale now, we can do it steeper. Yeah, which is fun. So really weird. And I think the whole the whole thing we understood from that is, we're, again, we're just, we're trying to get enough understanding of how the market works before we launch our next game that we don't do something as dumb as we have done in the past. The price of a game is arbitrary. Everything's arbitrary. You know, because if you think about like when you go to the movies, you pay 10 plus dollars, you get mm-hmm. your ticket, maybe you spend $8 on a kernel of popcorn. Mm-hmm. I went, we went to the movie theater to watch, what did we watch? Ant-Man and the Wasp. Ant-Man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm going to get a, a beverage. I go to get I a know, small. $6 or something. I got a small just fountain soda. Yeah. And it was like, I think it was $7. I was like, what the hell is it? <laughs> but again, I was. It was fine, I guess. Mm-hmm. I was willing to at that moment to to pay seven dollars mm-hmm. for for it. So, what does that tell you about about the value and the price of? It's always context. It's situational, right? Yeah, yeah. It's and so, whenever new. people ask, like, how come Crashlands is cheaper on mobile? It's like, well, why is it any price? We don't fucking know. This mm-hmm. is just what people will pay for. It. Why, yeah. Why isn't it more expensive everywhere? You know, yeah. Hey, here's how much we want to charge. Are you willing to pay? Yes. All right. Well, then let's yeah. do this. That's true. I think there's there's a bit of some weird there's some weird stuff going on there in terms of like the the comparison across platforms or even some of this other stuff as far as people getting fired up. The assumption that people are behaving in a very particular way is just completely wrong most of the time. I mean, this economics idea of like, oh yeah, in a perfect world where everyone knows everything equally. Which doesn't exist. Which doesn't exist. Uh, but if that were the case, <laughs> this is what would happen. Uh, it's the same case with this, which is like I think people are just – people are messy, you know? And, people are messy. And I mean even it comes to me where like if I go try to park. So parking is like one of the things that I hate the most just generally. Like having to drive around, find a parking spot, and then parallel parking in particular, just not a fan. Not mm-hmm. a fan of doing it. So if I have to go and park – like if I see a spot and I'm turning around to go get to it because it's on the other side of the street and someone else parks there. Right. Oh, that's the worst. You're like, because you're like, I, I saw it. That was my spot. So I think there's all these sorts of there's all these sort of stupid wrinkles that we do just to agitate ourselves on the daily. That's true. And and one thing that really pisses me off mm. is that my wheels don't turn sideways. Like why? How why come, not? How come when I want to parallel park, I can't just turn the wheel real hard, <laughs> turn my fucking wheels to a ninety degree perpendicular, mm-hmm. and just scoot? Just scoot. Right? Because, I mean, I get it. It's a safety problem. Maybe I'm going 70 miles an hour down the interstate, and then all of a sudden I turn my wheels sideways. <laughs> That's a bad move. But right? being able to have a mode. Right. But, like, I do have an emergency brake, which I also should not use on the interstate. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got I've got lots of dangerous tools in my car. That's true. That used in the wrong context. Or even if I just – The car cr- itself is a dangerous tool. Right. Even if I just cranked my steering wheel really hard to one side while going down the interstate – 
even without perpendicular tires. Mm-hmm. Even that would be a bad move and would probably kill everyone, mm-hmm. just everyone on the earth. Just, just the whole planet. Um, so why, you know, why can't – why why haven't we – people are talking about flying cars. I don't I don't give you a shit. Wanna... I just want sideways cars. I want to be <laughs> able to just scoot. I want to pull up next to the spot mm-hmm. and then just – just slide right in. Well, there's all that like automated parking. There's, I think there's a bunch of AIs. Yeah, now. we're developing entire fucking robots and neural networks mm-hmm. so that they can the parallel park. Why don't we just turn the wheel? Take a step back. Take just take a deep breath. Turn the wheels sideways. <laughs> I'm here for this sideways car thing. I'm behind you 100%. You know what? You know what would be even better if we can't solve this sideways wheels problem? Make a car that is uh, that can flip. Right, so like it's got I'm wheels. Backflips. I'm talking like those that RC car that has really big tires, and so it doesn't matter. Right. So either you've got big tires, or you've got an extra four tires, you know, on the top of your car, mm-hmm. and the top of your car is also a bottom, so that mm. you want a parallel park. So a little arm comes out of the side of your car. Oh, just, you just like it, just like rolls. The, it just kind of flips the car over, and now you're upside down. But that's fine because mm-hmm. when you – Because you, you parked and that's the important You parked thing. and then like once you want to get back out of the space, you get in the car upside down and then it flips back over again mm-hmm. and then you drive away. Yeah. So you, all you need – all you need then, you just need a gyroscopic piloting thing that sits in the middle. A ball you or need, a pod. You know, like four extra wheels and this sweet like grasshopper leg thing that flips – why can't we – have this. How come as a society we can't come together and make flipping this or is, perpendicular? This like, should be the moon landing situation. Where they're of, like, by the, the end teens. of this decade, we will make a car <laughs> that <laughs> can <laughs> roll into us. <laughs> or that could just parallel park sideways. Yes. Bring it back. Let's do it. Yeah. And you know, we could also take things a step further. And it's because, like, the other thing about parallel parking is, like you said, people take your spot. Yeah. Right. Well, what if. You could fire a beacon that you had a dart, you, you, had, a, you had a spot <laughs> dart that you could just shoot. No, I'm saying, what if, what if when you pulled into a spot, mm-hmm. like what if there was, what if there was just like one spot? Okay. You'd pull into it. And then when you get out of your car, your, it just, your car just goes down. <laughs> it goes down gone into now. the hole. Right. Mm-hmm. And then it gets sort of arranged somewhere. I think they have, they have some of these. This yeah, they've thing. got they've got like the towers where like you pull in, you get out, and then it's like a robot just takes your car, and just puts it on a shelf. Yeah. This is this is where our research dollars need mm. to be going. I'm sick of people talking. Clean about, up these streets. We don't need to go to space. We don't need to go anywhere. We need to go to the parking garage. We can't garage. even go to a damn parking spot yet. <laughs> so we need to we need to we need to get our own house in order. Mm-hmm. Right. All right, we got time for one more question. Kulabula asks. Hosting the first ever global level head level jam on launch weekend? I mean, that sounds like a good idea. Probably. Probably. Well, the thing is, launch weekend will just sort of by default. That's what will happen. Be. Well, actually, our servers will probably just be down. Let's be real. We have no idea what's going to happen or how to deal with it. Yeah, we're going to have to do – it's going to be some interesting stress testing we have to do sometime Uh because we need to we need to talk to some of our business partners to see who will let us do like a insane free weekend thing where we can before just launch like, yeah before launch or beta or something like that where we can just be like what happens if Open we just beta stress test what happens if we just crush the server can it live can, yeah. is it a cockroach server or is it more like a human child you and, know? This, and the pressure? shitty thing is like even that we probably won't get the numbers of a yeah. real launch because of course an open beta weekend 
it's cool because it's free, but also a lot of people are like, nah, I'm not going to do a beta because it's going to crash. And it'll right? probably just be on one platform to make it It'll easier. probably be just on one platform. So whoever, you know, that cuts people out. Mm-hmm. And also when you launch it, you know, you've got the trailer, you've got the hype, you've got the press involved, you've got YouTubers and streamers mm-hmm. or whatever. With the beta, it's like, well, it's probably broken. So don't we're not going to. Too many people. Yeah. <laughs> you don't, you don't get the same crowd. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if there is a genuinely good way to stress test. There are only stressful ways to stress test it. That's just what we're going to be. That's just going to be our life. Is it? Is it the game that will be stress tested, or is it us? Mm, it'll be like Darkest Dungeon. We'll get that like, and then it'll say like you know, minus twenty four stress, and then we'll go insane. You get plus twenty four stress. Plus twenty four. Yeah. Because minus twenty four stress would be felt be pretty good. <laughs> I could use that. Anyway. Yeah, I think that's what happens when you get a massage. Yeah. <laughs> How come they're already there at Darkest Dungeon? They're already standing there in a train. How come they, they can can't just massage, massage each other? <laughs> <laughs> that would mean, though, that the person in the back would always be the most stressed. And the thing That's is, why it's a tactical decision, you know, a tactical massage mm-hmm. train. But the thing is, you don't want the person in the back to be the most stressed because you can't see them. That's true. What are they going to do back you there? You freak out. You're not even going to know about it. They won't be getting massage. Well, you got to you got to have a rotating roster of yeah, you know, you yeah. flip them back there. Everybody gets massaged equally. It's a good situation. Yeah, and of course, the person in the front—they're the one. They've got kind of a, they've got a tricky situation. Mm-hmm. Yes, they get the massages. They get all the massages, mm-hmm. but they also get punched a lot <laughs> in, in the front. Yeah, <laughs> they're also, usually in darkest dungeon, they're standing in front of some. Just absolutely horrifying. There's a demon. They're being stabbed in the belly. Mm-hmm. But also, they're getting the a massage. Maybe not so bad. What if there was a game where... Massage train? There was a there was like a hero mm-hmm. that you didn't play as, but you had to develop sort of a spa and massage regimen to keep them mm. in tip-top shape as they went through the dungeon. Yeah, so it's kind of like those shopkeep games, but it's a spa for heroes. It's kind of a hero spa. From, yeah. Somebody made this. <laughs> I like it. I want to play it. All right. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. We'd like to thank our producer, Fat Bard, for making us sound good. Thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord running. If you'd like to get more involved in the Butterscotch community, you can hop into our Discord server over at discord.gg slash and come say hello. Also, if you'd like to adorn your body with Butterscotch merch, you can check out our shop over at shop.bscotch.net. We got mugs, shirts, posters, and stickers of all varieties, shapes, sizes, colors, and flavors. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm pretty sure they taste different. They probably do if you lick them. Yeah. Uh, also, if you'd like to send us something, we do have a mailbox, which you can find the address for over at mailbox.bscotch.net. And last but not least, if you'd like to uh, buy us a cup of coffee or otherwise donate to help support the podcast, you can head on over to moneygrab.bscotch.net. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.